The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Revelation 11. Revelation 11. As we're uh, looking at the seventh trumpet together and, and kind of the, the visions that go with the seventh trumpet. And it starts off with uh, kind of uh, rule, kind of ruling things. This is the, a lot of emphasis on on ruling in the in the next several chapters. Um, and I think overall we like to rule too, right? Like uh, it might be you like to rule your house. It might be like you you like to rule something, right? Like when, I think one of the reasons why we love sports so much is we can at least say, well, I ruled for a day, right? I I, I ruled for an hour. Like we won, right? I remember in youth group back in the day, you know, you'd have different things happening and you'd have, you know, you'd even have trophies for different things, you contests you went to as a youth group or whatever. Um, uh, this, this weekend uh, was the junior freeze, freeze out at camp, so it's for, you know, fourth, fifth, and, uh, third, fourth, and fifth graders, right, uh, uh, up, at, up at camp in Clear Lake. And uh, I went up with uh, Nathan McKim, my wife, and... Uh, uh, Sabrina Gogarty to, to kind of help the kids and, and help, help them have fun and, and, uh, and also learn a little bit about God on the way too. And uh, it was a good time. We had a great time up there. It's a great place to go. Again, just kind of a plug. We are doing a church retreat up there uh, at the end of spring break. If you'd like to go to that as well, you'll enjoy it. Hopefully we'll, we'll have warm weather. Um, and it, it was, uh, the lake still frozen so the kids could go out on the lake um, and uh, we could walk out on the lake. You know, it's always weird, a weird feeling to walk out on a lake, right? Um, so we did that. We played some games, had fun. Um, but I won a trophy uh, this, this weekend. Uh, I did. Um, I won the trophy in our cabin for loudest snorer, according to Elias Gogarty. Uh, and he made, made sure I knew it all Saturday morning, right? <laughs> you were, you snored, you know. He was, so I won that trophy, at least. What can I say? Uh, um, but as we look at the ruling and we th look at reigning, we know that people love to rule and reign. And the question is, is as it, kind of this, there's this kind of question that's been begging all the way through so far as we've looked at the trumpets. It's because the trumpets are given to, to, to call us for people to repent. The, the, the call is for people to repent around the world. And yet people, it's repeated over and over again, people don't repent. And the question is, why? Why don't they repent? And, uh, and as we get into the seventh trumpet, what we're going to see is that, uh, that people don't repent because the devil is at work deceiving them, lying to them, and tricking them up, and, and ultimately to destroy them. And in that tension of why, why is this going on, what's going on in the world, there's also this call to recognize God's reign. And so we, we don't look this morning at this, you know, what we... What we even today have to wrestle with is how do we rule, what, what, how do we trust God in the midst of this chaotic world? And uh, so let's look at Revelation chapter 11 together. And uh, since for some reason my clicker is not working, um, Matt, can you just follow along with me? Go to the next slide. Um, thank you. Okay, now I got it. The, so the worship of God's reign, the worship of God's reign, Revelation 11, you can follow along in your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen here, verse 15, it says this, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, 
The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our, God, of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so we have this, the seventh trumpet coming as the culmination of all, all the six trumpets so far, and it's saying, okay, the, the, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Like God's reign, which is, in, which is, is absolute, though not recognized on this earth, will be recognized ultimately and that is happening as, as we move into this seventh trumpet. We get more description here. It says, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So here's God described as who, was, who, was in the, who is, who exists now, who was in the past. He's, he's been the same over this and and now he's moving into the future in a sense for you have taken your great power and begun to reign it's, again it's not that he hasn't reigned all along but to absolutely establish his reign on the earth recognized by the peoples of the earth and here we have the opposite of that the nations raged but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a heavy hail. And again, we're going to see that, that description later on again. And so we have this this, this uh, scene in heaven as a result of the seventh trumpet of God's rule and reign being established. And yet at the same time, the acknowledgement of the opposition of the nations, that the nations have not repented, and that therefore they're facing judgment. And you see kind of three descriptions of God's power at this, in display in his rule. God's power demonstrated in judgment. He's going to judge those who have rejected him and have been done evil. God's power is also demonstrated in rewarding those who trust him, right? So there's a reward for those who trust him. And then also God's power is demonstrated in the destruction of the destroyers, it says. So those, pe those people who have power in the earth, who have ability to destroy others, and ultimately even Satan himself, right? The destroyer is going to be destroyed. And so the evil is going to be destroyed in order for God to reign and, and give goodness and, and justice in the world which is what we do not experience right now. And what's interesting here is this last verse, right? It says, then God's temple in heaven was opened. So again, we get this, this picture of, again, not on earth, but in heaven, God's temple opened so it can be seen and seen into. And the ark of his temple was seen within his, uh, the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple, which uh, brings up, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of like, uh, flashbacks, right? Uh, Indiana Jones trying to find the... The, the lost ark, right? And, but here we have the Ark of the Covenant, and it's in heaven. It's, it's before God, and the Ark in the Old Testament represented God's presence and his promises. That he, so he kept his, that he was going with his people, they, they took the Ark with them wherever they went, and also his promises, that he, he had established promises to be their God and, and to, to have his people with him and to protect them and to provide for them. And here we have this, why, why is God judging the earth? And you get this picture within the picture of, well, the Ark of the Covenant represents God is judging the earth because he wants to protect 
and provide for his people who are being destroyed by the destroyer or being deceived by the deceiver. And he wants to come in and restore things back to the way they should be with his presence evident and clear and with us and his provision rejoiced in rather than doubted. And so you get this reminder, even from this image, that God cares about the destruction and the judgment, the deception of his people. This is not a God who just destroys people just because he feels like it. This is not an angry God up in heaven like, oh, I finally get to bash people's heads in. Okay, That is not the picture of God here. This is a picture of a God who sees the hurt of his people, who sees the deception of the world, and is not willing to just, you know, sometimes we think, well, they're deceived, they shouldn't be held accountable. But he's showing that this deception, even as we'll see later on, this deception of the earth, that he's not willing to let them stay deceived. But to say, you know what, you're still held accountable for what, how you respond to me, to who I am, to the goodness of the world that I have made And that he will remain faithful to those promises. And and drawing that picture all the way from Exodus into Revelation is a reminder that God is, just like with the Israelites, when he takes them out of Egypt and brings them to the promised land, so with believers all around the world, he is taking us out of our, our slavery to sin, our destruction and death, and bringing us into the promised land of his care and provision for us. And yet at the same time, what you're going to see, so you say, well, that's the seventh trumpet, but it's not really. It's just the introduction of the seventh trumpet. And what you see then is actually seven visions. We're not going to get all look at all of them today. But seven visions over the next several chapters that culminate with the seven bowls. The seven bowl judgments. And so, the argument really is from the text that the seven bull judgments are the seventh trumpets. They're, de- they're the de- declaration of God's rule and reign on the earth and the judgment of those who would oppose him. And yet in the, in, in the meantime, these visions give us an explanation of the dynamics at play in God's ultimate rescue of his people and, and destruction of those who would destroy them. And so the first vision here is uh, an explanation, really, for why, why, why has not the world repented? And it's because, again, there's a great deceiver deceiving the nations. And let's notice that in Revelation chapter 12, in the great dragon's attempt to thwart God's reign. Revelation 12, verse 1 says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of ten, ten, twelve stars, not ten, twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So here we have this one. I'm just going to walk through a little bit this one. And, and so you see she's clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars. And the sun, moon, and stars should remind you then of Genesis 1, right? That the sun, moon, and stars are, were created to rule over the day and the night. So there's this woman here who represents uh, God's rule... Uh, kind of, the, in some ways, the culmination of God's rule or the, the ideal of God's rule in place. That, that God's rule over the created order in, 
And obviously we were made in God's image. Mankind was made in God's image. So again, the 12 stars here as opposed to 24 probably points to this being Israel. Again, and you'll see that as she's pregnant and giving birth. And, and, but it's, but it, she represents God's destiny for mankind to rule and reign, especially through his plan of redemption, which starts with Israel and what the nation of Israel represents. And you see that a little bit going forward here because it says she was pregnant. She's crying out in permanent pains and the agony of giving birth. So he, he focuses in on her for a second. And then another sign appeared in, in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. So here we have, as it's explained later on, Satan. He's, later on in the chapter, he's explained this is Satan, right? The great deceiver, the great accuser of, the, of believers. And it's pictured here, again, taking from, it's drawing all the way back from Genesis 3, right? Where the serpent shows up to deceive Eve and Adam. So that serpent is transformed from, you know, snake-like levels to great dragon levels. You know, for those of you who are into role-playing games, you know, it's, it's leveled up several times, you know. <laughs> uh, and and we uh, have a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, seven crowns. And so you here you have the dragon who is also claiming to rule. You see, right? There's this. There's these two competing claims for ruling the creation, ruling the people, and and he, the dragon, is claiming to rule as well, and even using seven, which is you know the number that God uses for perfection, right? And saying, yeah, I'm the perfect representation of that too. So you see, again, so we start to see some of the pictures of deception that are at play here. His tail swept down a third of stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Now this could mean either that he pulls a third of the angels down with him. It could also just be a demonstration in the vision of his power that he's able to, to control even creation and pull it down and and. And, and demonstrate his power over the universe. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So again, Satan's plan here is to thwart God's reign through God's plan of bringing a redeemer into the world. You see that here in the next verse. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. So again, this we... Get this picture of the Messiah, right? The one who's going to rule and reign. Um, and the Satan is, is set up when he comes to destroy him. And we get that all the way through the Gospels, right? Whether it's um, in Matthew with Herod, uh, it, w- whether it's with, you know, Satan himself interacting with Jesus in the great temptations in Matthew 4 and other pl- passages of Scripture. Or ultimately you get to the cross and Satan's manipulating events with both uh, with, with Judas and then the, the Pharisees and Sadducees to see Jesus killed. Satan's involved in all of that, trying to destroy God's reign through Jesus. Notice, <laughs> it summarizes all of that in one phrase. But her child was caught up to God into his throne. So instead of Satan, women, Satan winning and destroying God's rule and destroying this male child. Instead, the male child is caught up to God's throne. So that, again, the, the vision is just summarizing these things and helping us to see this great 
in a sense, competition for rule between God and his plan and Satan and his plan. It says, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she was, is to be nourished for 1,260 days. We'll get into kind of the, the, how that plays out here in a moment. But again, we see that reference to Daniel's prophecy with the three and a half years or the, two, or the, or the 42 months or the 1,260 days again involved in this picture. And so just with this, this picture just at the beginning, what you get again is this tension of who's going to rule and reign. You have God and his plan and, and his, his purpose in, in doing good to the world, but you do have someone in opposition here pictured as a great dragon set up to destroy and to kill and to establish his plan for ruling and reigning. Satan has always wanted to usurp God's rule. If you take Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28 as referring to pictures of Satan, the, the whole point is, I want to be just like he sold to mankind and Adam and Eve. I want to be like God, but not just I want to be like God, I want to be higher than God. And, and that means that he wants to, when God is, 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 has a plan for love and for care of his people, Satan's goal is for himself and pride to use people and use position to get what he wants. And we, so we go on in the vision here, the great deceivers attempt to destroy God's people. Notice verse 7, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. There's the, the explanation of specifically who the dragon is, right? And again, you have that ancient serpent all the way back to Genesis 3, who was called the devil, Satan, the accuser, the deceiver of the whole world. He's thrown down to the earth, and his angels are thrown down with him. Now I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love their lives, not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went out to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So you have this picture, again, war arising in heaven, Satan and his demons being cast out of heaven um, and seeking to make war on the woman. She escapes by God's provision into the wilderness, which is like there's 
you compare passages of Scripture like Matthew 24, uh, you could, this could be a reference to uh, just across the Jordan into what we, we would consider now the land of Jordan. Or you also have the, just a picture of just into the wilderness. Like, they're like she's just, she's uh, no longer in her land. She's out in the world in, in, a, in a chaotic place, a dangerous place, but also a place where God is going to provide for her. And, uh, and then it says that when the dragon realizes this, that he becomes furious and goes on to make war on the rest of her offspring. Now what's, what's interesting here is th- the language of all of this is, is past, um, but it's a, it's a prophetic past, right? So, but you're left with, because a lot of this, you're left with how much, and obviously the beginning of the vision is clear that it's past, right? Christ has, Christ has been born, right? He's, he's ascended to, to God in his throne. So, so so the question really comes down to how much of the vision is past and not as for John, especially. And uh, so this could be a reference in this, this whole thing to the fact that this, the, you know, the child ascends and the war happens when Christ ascends and then uh, Satan comes down and he tries to destroy Israel. And you remember you know, AD 70 comes and the destruction of Jerusalem and God's attempt to destroy Israel and, um, and Israel does flee to Jordan and ultimately gets scattered amongst the earth, right? And now until the last century, right, when Israel became a nation again in 1948. Um, that's almost 2,000 years of not being a nation, not having a, a homeland, not having a, a capital city, not being a nation in a sense, and yet being restored to that, which is amazing. Um, so it could be a reference to that. It could also just be a reference to the fact that, that God, God is saying, okay, um, the, the woman escapes like God's plan for his, his redemption of, 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 of people and of God's rule being reigned and established correctly is, is now hidden because the woman is, is protected for, for now. Um, and the, the focus seems to be primarily on Israel, however. Israel as the woman and, and, and just her... God's, Satan's hatred of the woman and God's protection of the woman. I would say that almost all of this is referenced in some ways to past events that have taken place. And then because he's going to stand, it says the last phrase of the, of the, the chapter here is, and he stood on the sand of the sea. And in chapter 13, which we're not going to be able to get into today, you see the arising of what most people call the Antichrist, who even in Revelation and Revelation is described as not here yet, okay? So the Antichrist doesn't exist yet in, in Revelation chapter 12. The, the, Revelation 13 then becomes uh, future to John's writing. And, and you have this, uh, so you have everything that's kind of past, kind of describing what God has done with, with Israel. And yet Satan's hatred of Israel. But the timing is questionable. It's hard to understand the timing, and, and we'll get into it more. I think it'll become clear as we go along. But so I'll just point out a few things. One is, again, the Antichrist isn't here yet, so there's this picture of how he's, it's mostly a description of how God, Satan is opposed to God's plan, right? And then you have the, what, how does Israel fit into this, and how is she t- taken care of? Um, and, and how much of this is still future versus present or past? is again kind of left up in the air for now. The focus really is on the dragon, okay? The dragon is here 
opposed to God's plan, seeking to destroy God's plan and God's people, even though it's defeated. Uh, let me just point out a few verses from other passages of Scripture. It says, verse 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about, says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. That is, in some ways, again, even Satan being opposed to God's plan is ultimately under God's control. And he, Satan's lies demonstrate that people don't love the truth. That's part of what's going on here. Is he's pointing out that even when we say, well, they, they were deceived, you know, like Adam and Eve were deceived. Eve was deceived and Adam was, you know, disobeyed because ultimately they wanted to, not just because they were deceived. And we deal with this, and God is dealing with this tension here between how do I be just and yet how do I rescue people and bring them back to myself. And, and so you have here, in some ways you have a picture of, again, Satan's ultimate role, right? We, he uh, he referred to that earlier in the passage. Let me go back to Revelation chapter 12 and the declaration of... Um, it says, For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, right? And er, verse er, earlier says, the, great, the ancient servant called the devil, the deceiver of the whole world. So you have two basic functions that Satan is involved in accomplishing in the world to deceive the world God's glory, God's relevance, God's power, God's goodness. Okay. Why do so many people doubt that God is good? <laughs> because Satan is at work deceiving them. Right? And he's also called, again, the accuser of the brothers. That is, those who tr put their faith in Christ, who are God's people, Israelites and Gentiles, Satan accuses. He's, 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 he's about this, this work of, of, of saying, you know, you failed. You're not good enough. God doesn't really love you because <laughs> you're, you're just not worth it. He accuses them. And if you're a believer in Christ, you've probably thought those thoughts yourself at times. I am not worth it. I am a failure. God can't love me. All those things really are from Satan not from the Holy Spirit. And so we live in a time, even, even as, as where Satan is at work doing this. This is a description, not just of what's going to happen in the end, but why the end is necessary, because Satan is continually doing this. And so, uh, again, Ephesians talks about this as well. Let me get back through Revelation and then back through 2 Thessalonians. Back to Ephesians. Uh, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So here in Ephesians, there's a description of, uh, of there's evil even, in a sense, in, in the heavenly places. Satan's not fully cast down yet, but Satan is at work in the world. In Ephesians chapter 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air, right? Like he's at work amongst people, deceiving them and accusing Christians. 
And because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, he's saying, look, the people around you aren't really the issue. The, the, your co-worker, you think, oh, they're so bad. Or, or you can look at politics and you can say, oh, these people are, are at work and these things are so bad. That's not the real issue. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We ultimately wrestle against Satan, the deceiver of this world. You say, well, how is it possible for us to do that? Again, because we are connected to Christ. That's why he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We are his people. And again, if I jump back here to Revelation 12, it says, verse 11 says, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love their lives not even to death. We, we, have, we have the one who has conquered with us. We are in the one who has conquered. That's what Ephesians talks about. That's why the, all the, 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 the apostles talk about what does it mean for us to be saved. We're placed into Christ. We're, we're placed in him. So the one who has defeated Satan, the one who's going to rule and reign forever, he's the one that we're in, that we're a part of now. So even though there's this great deceiver who's lying and, to the nations and, and saying, in a sense, this isn't, God is not good. He's not worthy of following. He's, 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 he's a, you know, he's, he's a king who's just trying to get attention. A king who wants praise even though he doesn't deserve it. Yet we have a king who truly deserves to reign because he died for us and rose again. John in 1 John puts it this way. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It's not the only doctrinal test you can make, but he's saying this is the key one, right? And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already <laughs> right he's saying you heard it was coming now it's already starting to manifest in the world and you can see in chapter 13 verse 1 it says that the beast rises there's a process of rising in a sense out of the sea but this is this is the world we live in where and what you're going to see in Revelation 13 is, in a sense, rather than the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're going to see an unholy trinity of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, set up to provide the perfect alternative to God, in a way, and the perfect deception of the world. And this is what we're up against as believers. But we conquer him, it says, right, because we believe in Jesus, and John goes on to say, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so you have this picture of evil, biblically. You have the flesh, which is our, our desires that are out of, out of control. That way we don't want to submit them to God. We want to solve our desires ourselves. The flesh, the world, which we'll get to a minute, and the devil. The devil's starting to deceive us. And the, the devil uses the world in order to appeal to our flesh to lead us to destruction. And the world is all the ways that Satan uses culture, our environment, the ideas of the world to say sin is better, sin is normal. 
like following God is irrelevant. Is why it's, it's not that important. And he's saying here that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Like, if we're believers in Christ, the reason why we can rule and reign, and even, in a sense, in this life, and we can wrestle for God is because he is with us, he is in us, and we're, we place our faith in him. Verse, in verse chapter 5, 1 John says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? He's like, this is the key, key thing. We, we get caught up in, in so many different things about how do we defeat evil and how do we, and we fight and, and wrestle against the problems of the world. The key thing we need to understand is the thing that gives us victory is Christ. <laughs> Trusting in Christ, believing that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And our willingness to believe in the blood of the Lamb. This is... This is the key thing. You know, and so we should not, we, we need to, how do we then do that? Well, we are the light of the world, right? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We need, to, we need to speak the truth of who Christ is and what he's done for us in our lives and in the word of God to others because this is the truth that we have. But, right, Satan is going to come to you as you seek to do that, and he's going to lie to you. He's going to accuse you. Have you ever felt Satan accusing you? Saying, well, you say you're a child of God, but you keep sinning. You keep failing. You keep doing all the wrong things. All the things that you try to do, you don't do. How could you possibly be a child of God? We're, we're children of God not because of our own performance, right? <laughs> Like, if it was up to me not sinning, I would still be lost in my sins. Because <laughs> I sin every day. I'm unkind, I'm unthoughtful, I'm uncaring. But Christ died for my sins. <laughs> the reason why I'm accepted before God is because he died for me. The reason why you're accepted by God is because he died for you. And the lie the devil wants to keep putting in front of us as the accuser over and over and over again is God does not love you. God does not love you. How could he possibly love you? And yet, who can say anything against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, rather is risen again, who is seated even now at the right hand of the throne of God, for nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. That's the truth. The devil comes in with a lie. But if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you believe that he is the Son of God, that he died and rose again on your behalf, you are his child. He loves you forever. Another deception that the devil comes in with is that the danger outside is greater, that the world is the problem. But again, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You know, we don't have this problem often. Um, if you ever go to a zoo, usually you're not too worried about the lions, right? But you know why they cage lions, right? It's because lions are always lions. 
So uh, in 2022, they actually had a, a lion outbreak in Sydney, Australia. In Sydney, they were having this, uh, it's ironic in a sense, because they were actually having one of those, you know, camp outs at the zoo, you know, where you could fall asleep amongst all the, you know, foreign sounds chattering, you know, the birds chattering and the lions roaring, and you could fall asleep to all these exotic sounds. But like three in the morning, like code one, code one, get up, leave all your stuff, go to this building, get in it. Like, oh, this is just a drill. They're, you know, they're just having fun with us. No, the lions had gotten out of their cage. Uh, four cubs and a male lion were all, and uh, not, there was, there was still a, a, a little fence in between them and the rest of the zoo, but they, they could have gotten over it easily, right? Fortunately, it was all fine. It was all fine. You know what? Sometimes we think, oh, well, I know I'm a sinner, and I know the world is the problem, so I'm going to cage the world in, I'm going to cage myself in. I'm going to just keep us far apart. The, the problem with that is that's not what solves the problem. If you, if you cage something, it's still going to be itself. The whole point of Christianity is, is that God changes us. He, he helps us to overcome the world. He changes our hearts. We go from being lions caged up, so to speak, to being people who love God and love others. We, we live in a world where it's just, it's easy to feel like sin is normal. Like, like for instance, I was th- thinking about it, like, the world kind of says, you know, the customer's always right, so if, if they mess up you, you, customer service, you have a right to complain, right? You have a right to complain if they mess up your service. But God comes in and says, do nothing <laughs> by complaining and murmuring, right? So you have two options here. You can either live like the world, you can be worldly in a sense, and Hey, they messed up my order. I have the right to complain, you know, to do in the world. Or as a believer, you can think, you know what? Okay, I can I can solve this problem in a way that shows grace and mercy and kindness. Even if I need to bring it up and say, hey, you messed up my order, I can still do it in a way that doesn't complain and murmur, right? But but we get deceived. We think like the world sometimes. No, no, we, we think like the world this way, because Satan wants to come in and say to the world, you know, the church is just, uh, they're a bunch of screw-ups, can't do anything right, they're irrelevant, they don't love, they're unloving, and we can get caught up in that too, yeah, you know, I go to church and people seem unloving, and they seem irrelevant, and you know, like, do I really want to hang out with these people? God says, not many noble, not many wise not many rich are called, right? If, if you think more of the church as a ragtag group of people who have an awesome destiny, all being made into an image of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that's who we really are. And that means we hang out with each other, not because, oh, these, these people are just so great to hang out with. No, because, oh, I have received the love of God and I want to pour it out on people who need the love of God as well. That's who the church is. And we can either think like the world, or we can think godly. And the devil is always trying to use the world to convince us that godliness is idiotic and sin is normal. And so we as believers, we, what, how do we, again, we conquer that, not by you know, cutting ourselves off and saying, I don't want to be around anyone you know, who's not like me. No, we say, 
I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to love others as God's called me to love others. Why? Because I know that greater is in me than he who is in the world. I know that, that I have, my calling is to be a light in this world. That I'm called to shine as lights in the world. And I, that the best way I can shine is not so much worrying about what they're doing, but worrying about, hey, I'm gonna, how do I love God in this situation? How do I see how the joy of following him? How do I notice the greatness of being forgiven in this situation? You know, you know I, I, I go to camp, and even as a parent, you can be like comparing yourself to other people, right? Like, well, you know, my kid's doing okay, their kid's not doing okay, or their kid's doing great, and my kid's terrible. You know, we can, we can compare ourselves. We can, we can judge others rather than just focusing in on what God has done for us. And, and this is, this, in a sense, that start, that start of, of, of what's, the seventh trumpet is all about just praising God's rule and reign. And the devil is against that. And it just brings me full back to, how do I not be deceived? By seeking to praise the one who made me. Seeking to praise the one who died for me. Seeking to praise the one who's forgiven me. And, and I can go through life either comparing myself to other people or seeking to establish my own pride and my own, uh, look how great I am, or I can go through life rejoicing in what God has done for me. And we conquer the devil's deception by praising the Lamb. So, kind of just the last question as we wrap up this morning here is, how are you praising God for Jesus and his grace? It might be, as you're doing sports, you're thinking, you know what? It's not about me winning here. It's about me rejoicing in the, the abilities God's given me and the, the joy that I have of doing this with other people. Maybe it's at work and you're thinking, you know what? I've got the joy of providing for my family and I've got the joy of, of seeking to do good with my coworkers because Jesus has died for me. Maybe it's at home and you're thinking, I've got the joy of loving my family. Why? Because... Jesus has placed me in a place where I can serve him and love others just as he has loved me. How are you praising God for Jesus and his grace? This is the trophy we get at the end of time when we stand before his presence to rejoice and say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and wisdom and power and might and honor and blessing. The devil is deceiving the nations. And one day, he will be destroyed. In the meantime, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Will you trust that? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you didn't leave this world and its history and its problems to Satan to do what he wants because he would just destroy us. He wouldn't cause us to rule and reign with him. We'd be pawns in his great scheme of greatness for himself. But you have invited us to be a part of your family. You have forgiven us of our sins. You have redeemed us by Christ's blood. You have given us of your Holy Spirit so that we are yours. 
And one day you promise that we will stand with you in white robes, rejoicing, singing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Lord, how great you are. You are great and awesome, God. You love us. You've given yourself for us. Help us not to forget that. Help us not to buy into the accusers' accusations that you don't love us. Help us not to be deceived like the world about the greatness of who you are and how great it is to walk with you, to trust you, to love others. Lord, help us to be the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they put it under a, a basket and hide its light, but it is light to the world. Help us to be light to the world by praising the one who died for us and rose again and trusting him in the midst of all the deceptions around us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.